0: Hello, everyone. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is bald. She's a country music star, a comedian, a TV actress, a recent judge. (laughs) The list goes on and on. And of course, you know, I'm talking about Trixie Mattel. Trixie and I always have an amazing time when we get together just to shoot the shit with each other. And um, I gotta say, this is a really good episode. So if you're a fan of Trixie, buckle up. If you're not a fan of Trixie, get ready to fall in love with her for the first time. All today on (laughs) Jinx. Forever Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by visual artist, country music star, winner of Drag Race All Stars 3 and the most followed drag queen on Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. It's Trixie is that Mattel. True? I guess it's in my notes. Hi, Trixie. Hi, Jinx. I have to <laughs> We've got some ASMR tell them. Go ahead today. And tell them. Trixie is performing cannibalism right now. She is eating a hard-boiled egg. Um that's a long-running joke between the two of us and the haters' roast. I used to say. Trixie, out of drag, looks like an egg. She's the only person on Twitter who didn't have to change her profile photo when she started a Twitter <laughs> account. Oh, that's right, because when you start Twitter, you're an egg. You're an egg ra- waiting to be hatched.
1: I, I know I'm supposed to take it more seriously, but I end up changing my profile picture nowadays to whatever like meme I currently like. Mm-hmm. So then it will be like trying to promote a single, and they're like, did you just change your profile picture to Alyssa Edwards out of drag? And I'm like,
0: yes, I did. <laughs>
1: Because yes, I did.
0: You've already got the eight million followers. Who cares? Who gives a fuck? What the fuck branding? You already got it.
1: <laughs> but being the most followed drag queen, what is that like? Being the prettiest girl in a small town? You know what I mean? Like, that means nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. But the most followed cross dresser. Actually, wouldn't that be RuPaul?
0: I guess. Oh. Oh. Well, there we go. We have some incongruencies in our in, in our
1: outline here. Do you like participating in social media?
0: I mean, I pretty much have dwindled it all down to Instagram. I just do everything on Instagram. But uh, there were days when I liked Twitter. Back in the day, I liked to just you know, post whatever came to my mind. But I can't handle the stress of like, you know, we've talked about this before. Let's start at the beginning. Trixie, this is actually a very significant episode because the idea for this podcast Came out of um, a conversation with you I had on a a live stream show. I was doing um, a show called Jinx Calls Her Friends. It was one of my more popular digital streaming shows. And all I would do is just call people and talk to them on the phone live. And the camera was just on me holding my phone, talking to people. And I called you because someone else didn't answer and I was like, let's just call whoever I can think of. And the audience was saying, call Trixie, call Trixie. I called, you answered, and we talked. I was about to wrap up the show, and you and I talked for an extra 45 minutes. And I remember it being just such a, like, a, an affirming conversation. The audience loved it. I loved it. And sooner or later, someone came to me and was like, hey, why don't you just do that on a podcast, eh? Yeah? <laughs> And who was that person? It was Steve from um, the Sex in the Series, the Sex in the City series. The Sex hey. in the Series City. <laughs> hey Miranda, uh, I was listening to your sh- uh, to your show last night. I thought, why don't you do a podcast like this? <laughs> You watch the show? Well, I'm happy. I'm <laughs> such a super
1: mega, mega, mega fan. I loved when you launched the podcast, and you've had some really good guests. In fact, you did your Carrie Preston episode, In My Bedroom, On My Bed. I sure did. I. You came over for a YouTube video, and you um wouldn't leave. So <laughs> yes. I don't know if you just go everywhere and turn everyone's home into your office, or I don't...
0: The best part of that episode was in the middle of talking to Carrie Preston, who was an absolute angel on Earth, you came in in like lime green jogging gear with those little water bottle pods on either hand. Oh, that's right. It blew I was trying for the marathon at mind. At time. Did you do the <laughs> marathon?
1: No, what happened was I had to go do Queen of the Universe. and while I was doing Queen of the Universe, I was getting up to like right to the marathon. <laughs> I came back from London. Landed, did Austin City Limits, went to Palm Springs to start Trixie Motel, and immediately got sick and had to have my appendix out, which meant I went from being 20 weeks of training, 20 weeks of running every day. I run hundreds of miles, and the apex of it, instead of doing the marathon, was canceling gigs and being laid up to get my appendix torn out. It was so disappointing. I can't tell you how disappointed I was.
0: That is so... I'm. First of all, I know it
1: doesn't sound that serious, but like No, it
0: is. First of all, I'm very sorry to hear that. Um I remember you being sick, but I didn't hear that the climax was that the appendix had to go. Was
1: I I think I also I hit a wall. I think it was an um you know when people say like don't work too hard, or you'll get sick. I think that actually happened because I was um, sleeping about 10 hours a 10 hours a night and constantly dizzy for about 2 months. It was just horrible. I think it, I think you can actually work yourself to
0: sickness. Well, yeah. I mean, when you're overworking yourself, you're kind of foregoing the things that we do to take care of ourselves. And, um, it sounds like you were burning the candle at both ends, but who can blame you? You know, when you got those kind of opportunities, what are you going to say? Sorry, I'd love to do queen of the universe, but I've been training for this marathon. (laughs) That's how I feel. That's how I feel. I just feel like uh, uh,
1: me, you, all of us who get to have jobs right now in drag, we only have these jobs because people broke their backs to create these opportunities for us over decades of developing this art form and exposing it to the world. So far be it from us to go, no, I'd rather sleep in. You know what I mean?
0: I hope you get to run your marathon someday, Um, but what if you're... I switched
1: to halves. I switched to halves because the full 26 is crazy to train for. And there's been three different times that I've been signed up for a match or a race, and um, I get a job, and then I have to cancel it. So Uh, at this point, I'm just giving a race $150 for a sign-up fee and then never getting to do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, anyway. I want to know, though, is it is it competitive? Is there ranking in these marathons? I've never ran anywhere. Um, I've never run, run a day in my life. What's... Your mascara's run. <laughs> You've no, run from yourself. No, bitch, because I use the waterproof MAC mascara, okay? <laughs> um, no, I do run from my, my feelings and thoughts a lot. Um, it's called self-medicating. Um, <laughs> but...
1: Well, you know what's oh my god, there was this, um, you know, I'm if anybody doesn't know this at home, nobody is a bigger supporter of Jinx Monsoon than me. I just it's true, it's really true. You are just Beyonce to me. (laughs) And when you and I were working together in Provincetown, if I had a night off and you had a seat open, I would come to your show. I probably saw for three summers, I probably saw your show probably at least five times. Was that the ginger
0: snapped? That one, or was it Big yes, City Bimbo?
1: It, <laughs> I, both. Both and either, and the Jinx for President show. But <laughs> the, the one, I, and I saw, it was the first, the first summer, I forget which one it was. Um, But, uh. There was this great part where uh, Major is saying that maybe you self-medicate and he <laughs> turns to you and you have a tourniquet on your arm and you're like slapping your wrist and you're like, w-? I forget what you say, but you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it was, it was a, so fucking funny.
0: It was a, it was one of those um, three-point jokes because first, i I'm he says, I, he's skirting around the issue. I think you're kind of leaning into your vices and I'm chugging a bottle of quote-unquote vodka. It was water. And then he's like... I think you're just taking things a little too far and I'm smoking a, a a weed pipe on stage and by the time he says I think you might be self-medicating. Yes, I'm I'm tying off and I'm looking for a vein. I love that yeah. trio of jokes. Thank you. But wait, so funny. In the- I love that trio of jokes. Thank you. <laughs> marathon do you get do you get ranked do you is uh, can you come in first place and would it be hard for you to enter a competition and not win it
1: well let's address the
0: situation
1: (laughs) let's address the fact that marathon running is the least interesting to hear about sport there is right right right. i'm basically i'm basically telling people a story about how i ran in a circle but i will say (laughs) this what i like about marathon running is you're not in competition with anyone no one cares if you finish No one even cares if you don't finish. No one cares (laughs) if you quit in the middle. Your time doesn't really matter to anyone but you. Your success of it doesn't matter to anyone but you. I love it because it's the only thing I do that has nothing to do with drag, performing, money, the audience. No one even cares if I do it. It's only for my own human enjoyment. And I also think there's a big part of me that because I wasn't like aggro and masculine, I didn't participate in sports. And so it's, it's fun to do a sport that is like not team sport, and just about you. It's just mental and it's just about you.
0: Copy and paste everything you just said and apply it to why I play video games. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes! Except you're, yes. you're doing something that gets you physically active, it, 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 it's healthy, you're um, toning the quads. I'm literally sitting on my ass for hours up till 4 a.m playing Greedfall as my current game. It's like playing it this video game is like a Victorian period drama that you're just like a part of. <laughs> oh. <laughs> is it's a game you
1: about use? your life.
0: <laughs>
1: um <laughs> you have a Victorian a, drama about getting your period. That's <laughs> really what it
0: is. You have a brand new single coming out. It's called I do <laughs> This
1: Town. <laughs> To tell you about another listen, joke you said about me, no, was that was it's, so fucking fierce? It's in the
0: notes. I'm just reading the notes. You have a new single called "This Town," featuring Shaky Graves, and I actually have the lyrics pulled up right here. Um, I used to have friends in this town, but they're gone now. I used Shut to the know fuck the words. Up, oh you no, whore. sorry, that's my single called <laughs> "This Town."
1: <laughs> well, actually, one of my favorite songs of yours is that song. It was in—I forget what show of yours it was in and it was so chilling that song your Ver- your this town starts with this really simple 1 4 piano thing and you're kind of talking you're kind of talking about how traveling the world has um you're talking about gentrification a little bit but you're also talking about how every time you travel the world and come back you recognize your friend group and your hometown less and less and you start with i used to have friends in this town but they're gone now and it's oh my god when i first saw you sing that that first lyric Inst- I mean, one tier in two seconds.
0: <laughs> one tier.
1: You, you are so. I love your music so much, but when you do a ballad, you lay that shit down like nobody. <laughs> it is amazing. It is amazing what I you do.
0: I swear, you know, every time we get together to do something, I'm always. It's not that you don't get. It's not that you don't give me compliments like this when we're just like chatting, um, but you always go so far. I'm like. I don't that make even you know. uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know how to sit here and and take <laughs> these compliments. And this episode is about you. So now that joke is aside, we both have songs called. Well, this but let's down. go back to the real what, joke, bitch. What's because your, this is what's one of t- what's your town? What's your town call? I mean, what's your t- what's your what's your, this your town, town? call? about what's your song about tell me tell me about the song
1: <laughs> so um this my this town which by the way let's it's uh Trixie mattel music kind of has two settings now it's fun beachy 60s kind mm-hmm. of like fountains of wayne or it's melodramatic acoustic that's kind of my two settings because you know i have the, the depressed lesbians and i need to appease them you know I, that's my big audience and this song i wrote it during covid sitting at my kitchen table Feeling like living in the middle of Hollywood during a pandemic was pretty much the worst place you could be. It felt like I was in the middle of a petri dish. And I was thinking of how in the town I lived in or grew up in, how much being somewhere remote in a way can really protect you. And um, I didn't have a bad small town experience. My town was so small that everybody in town knew me and I knew everyone. And so there was no bullying, nobody was mean to me for being gay, like whatever. And so I had a very reverse LGBT small town experience, and I I love small towns, and if I didn't work in entertainment, I don't think I would have even ever left. Um, And so I wrote my This Town about that, and it's about how it's sweet and protective, but also small towns have a darkness. They facilitate um, secrets and domestic abuse and drug use and alcoholism, and it's in plain sight, no one says anything. Um, and it's not even about, in the city, you see an anonymous drug addict on the street and you're like, well, that's sad. Next. But in a small town, you're like, oh, him? Yeah, I mean, we all, know he's, he, we all know he struggles. The whole town know. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. There's sort
1: of a familiarity that facilitates darkness and no one says anything. But there's also sort of a comfort in going out and knowing every person you're going to see that day.
0: Yeah. And I, I love
1: small towns for that reason.
0: That's kind of like, you know, why we go back to Provincetown every summer is... Yes. Because you get that small town experience once a year. Um, of course, there's the the partyers who come in week after week, but who pays attention to them. You get in... You have some fun. You get out. Uh, The rest of us, we stay there all summer, and it's like fucking Belle and Beauty and the Beast every morning. (laughs) You walk down Commercial Street and people are popping out of their windows saying hello. My
1: (laughs) my first summer there, I did uh, the the post office, which is the – let's be honest. It's the smallest, worst theater in town. It's not the prestigious one. It's not the fancy one. It was right after I did Drag Race and I was performing for, on average, maybe 15 to 25 people a night. And it was so humbling Mm -hmm. and so insane because I I went from thinking, oh, I was on Drag Race, I'm a TV star, to, wow, I'm doing stand-up for 15 people most nights. And all these (laughs) famous drag queens are down the street with packed houses. And I was like, it was humbling in a way that really facilitated artistic growth for me because five days a week I just had to get up. Get in drag, hand
0: out flyers,
1: <laughs> and then try to do my show and try to do better than the last night. And honestly, not to romanticize. I think that first summer, do you remember my shitty little apartment?
0: I don't know that no I air ever saw it. I oh, think
1: I no remember hearing about it. <laughs> no fridge, no Wi Fi. I was like Laura Ingalls Wilder that first summer. I had no Wi Fi, <laughs> no fridge, no nothing. And it was um, probably one of the happiest summers of my life.
0: You attribute to this kind of like, you know, you were beloved your season, um, but you didn't make you made it about halfway through your first season, yeah.
1: I went home fourth.
0: Fourth. But you came back. We we, we yeah, got you yeah. well into the episodes. But yeah, I was
1: on about seven episodes.
0: But you blew up before All-Stars. You know, a lot of girls go on their first season, and then maybe they have like they have like a renaissance when they go on. All-Stars. You went on All-Stars mid-Renaissance that was happening for you already. Would you attribute that to the success and popularity of your show uh, with Katya?
1: I would say it was that. It was most of it was that. Um also Katya doing All-Stars while making uh mm-hmm. made a lot of people watch uh. Uh just has this, I mean, we're talking low budget. This is a green screen show where one person <laughs> Pete, and Fina, who just touches up our hair and makeup, it's just four of us in a green room. It's not high budget. It's not high concept. And it's not even highly advertised. Mm-hmm. So it's weird that it continues on. I mean, we're going into season seven. And at the time, it was getting this secret momentum mm-hmm. with this really diehard audience. Because, you know, in drag, you don't need to be vaguely popular to the millions. It really helps to be extremely loyally popu- popular to a small amount and yeah. that's what i i started with i started with a small group that really watched everything i mean when i put out two birds that was around the same time it was the, i was writing some of the music for two birds that first summer and two birds had come out by that second summer when I, that's when i was suddenly sold out all the time and so two birds charting being you know having music chart on country charts was definitely like a it at least made people go like what is that person doing and I regret probably some of those artistic choices or genre choices. <laughs> I think it was a weird choice for me, but it at least made I mean, I played guitar my whole life. It made sense to play music from that instrument in my hands with that sound. I prefer the sound I'm doing now more. But um, I think it was uh, and I think it was two birds. And honestly, the first summer in Provincetown performing for sometimes 10 people, 12 mm. people, it just made me confident. It had a it had a reverse effect. Like doing being on TV and touring the world mm-hmm. and then doing Provincetown for 10 people, instead of killing my confidence, it made me really trust my voice, trust my instincts, mm-hmm. trust what people find funny about me. And then there was this incredible joke in one of your shows, which kind of relates to this town, <laughs> where I think uh you said we want people to be excited and, and and gassed up like when they're going to a Trixie Mattel show. We don't want them sad and confused like when they're leaving a Trixie Mattel <laughs> show. Which was so funny because... My first summer there, I had a stand up show called Ages Three and Up, which was mostly stand up, a little tap dancing. But there was one number in the middle that was a sleeper number that was this sad breakup song on the guitar. And at that time, audiences didn't even know I played guitar. So it was sort of like this weird left <laughs> I field. I
0: remember that one. I remember that. So people show, were like, yeah. oh,
1: it's going to be funny. Oh, it's, I didn't even, she's going to fake play guitar. Oh, it's going to be a comedy number. And I did I Know You All Over Again in the show, which is only two and a half minutes long. And then after the show, every night for 55 shows, people will go, oh, my God, this song. That was my favorite part. I didn't even know you played music. That was my favorite part. <laughs> so then I was like, well, maybe I should put music in this. Um, but that joke was so funny because it's true. I do so much, like, jokes, and I look funny. And then sometimes my music is sad, and it really doesn't make any sense. But it, it makes sense to me. So, like, this town is is a bummer song, but it's just whatever.
0: <laughs> well, you know what I want to say And now it's your turn to sit there and receive compliments. But um, the popularity that you experience is 100% fully justified. This isn't just like, this isn't someone who just blew up because, oh my God, I don't want to put anyone on blast. But it's not like you had a catchphrase that made you, you know, blow up overnight as a meme And that's why you experience success. You have the talent to back up your success. You play the instruments you play. You write the music you sing. You have a lovely singing voice. You're hilarious on stage. Like, this isn't someone who's just randomly experiencing the success. Like, you put the work in. You have the talent to back it up. And it's like there's... It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense that we are living in a Trixie nation right now because, <laughs> you. because you bring it. And, I mean, I think you should take more time off, let some of us get some gigs. But um, other than that, <sighs> you know. You know you, what? You're right. Click. I leave the podcast. <laughs> you you work for what you are experiencing and you work hard for it and you have the talent and the know-how, the intellect, the skills to to justify it and back it up so it's it's not like you're just sitting on your ass collecting checks you are wildly well, successful you. and popular for good reason um
1: I also I I also think that I luck out because I do things that are in my own lane like I don't really do <laughs> things that are like taking a job from someone else you know like when I put <laughs> exactly. out my own records or do my own <laughs> YouTube channel or write my own book or start my own makeup company it's like I'm not like taking a slot yeah. from someone or t- <laughs> yeah, I, like, every, believe me point. believe me every time I audition for a TV show I don't get it yeah and then I go watch somebody else read the lines <laughs> on TV and I go oh good for them I mean and, I never and I usually it's a every straight
0: cis pretty boy <laughs> playing a drag queen oh. <laughs> a Star is
1: Born I auditioned for that didn't get it uh, Eureka's role American Horror Story didn't get it Uh I, I read for voice do you read for voice acting?
0: mm-hmm Yeah, I never get it. I never get it,
1: but I always try. I'll say this, and maybe I would only say this to you because we're close friends. I never claim to be prettier or smarter or funnier or anything that anyone or a better singer or anything. What I can claim is that I'm that Girl Scout at sunrise, hitting the pavement. Like I'm, I am earnestly. I try to make things and do good things. And most drag queens are a little more come and go with the wind. And I'm a little more like, punch the clock, bitch, we're doing this. So it's just, I think, if we're, if we're back to your question, I think a lot of it just attributes to the sheer volume of things I make.
0: That's, that's a very good point. And I have said, you know, like, I'm going on a decade now since my season. And I've observed a lot throughout the years. And I'm very lucky to be someone who has had a Career that's, you know, sustained this whole time. And I've had ups and downs, and I've had my busy years and my slow years, but I've never, you know, I've never not been working. I've never not had some opportunities come my way. And a big part of it is just being willing to put in the work. And I won't generalize drag queens, but like artists in general, or, you know, what I'll say is people who experience overnight success. I think sometimes expect that to just be, to just take care of itself. Like, oh, I blew up overnight. Now I'm successful. Now I never have to think or do or (laughs) work for anything again. It's all just gonna happen. And that's just a complete myth, you know? It never just happens. You have to put in the work. You have to be willing to put in the hours. I mean, I'm sure some people get lucky and they just do one thing and then coast off of that for the rest of their lives. But that's why I'm saying you're not just experiencing success. And you know, I I know the drag queen community is small and it's tight knit, and sometimes it's hard. You know, there's there's people who will sit around griping and begrudging, like, "Oh, I don't get it. I don't I, I don't get why." This person's doing so much more than me, and then they have to ask themselves, how much work did you put into what you're doing (laughs) right now, you know? Well,
1: I will say, I mean, if we're being transparent at the Mm -hmm. gig, there have... You, as I, because you're one of my closest friends in drag, drag queens used to treat me differently than they treat me now.
0: Oh, yeah? Let's just say that. I mean, In what way, better or worse?
1: Um... I think I think what uh, – your, your word's not mine. <laughs> the amount of success I've been lucky to have, it puzzles some of them, and it puzzles <laughs> them in a way that frustrates them, and that frustration comes through.
0: You know, That's what, all. That's all I'm going to say. You know what I'll say? And this is something – and I'm completely fine talking about this, but this is something I had to grapple with myself. And I think it's kind of <clears> – <throat> we call it the winner's curse. You know, <laughs> when you are the one who won – it's really jarring when the new season starts and the and the attention shifts. And it's not necessarily on the new winner, but it's like you're, the attention shifts. It's like there's a new season airing, there's new people to follow, and there's new people to get excited about. And naturally you kind of, you know, gravitate away from the last season girls and start putting your attention on the new season girls. And when you're the winner, it's like, you know, you go from having, like, feeling like, oh, I'm the top, and then now there's someone else topping you. <laughs> and if that someone else is Bianca Del Rio, it's hard not to feel like, oh, shit, I really missed the boat. I I should have been doing yeah. what she's doing. And then the way I got over those kind of feelings of, um, you know, any kind of bitterness, any kind of grudge I may have had. I had to say to myself, it's not up to me to decide what the audience likes. So I, I never try to think of like, oh, I don't get it. Or like, why is this person resonating with the audience more than me? It's like, because they are. Because they're giving something the audience wants. And rather than sitting around complaining about it, why don't I find what it is that I give that the audience wants and leans into that? And, you know, I think a lot of us queens who have been through that drag race machine, you know, we kind of follow a formula afterwards. But you start experiencing real real longevity when you find what's the special thing that you do and lean into that rather than trying to, you know, do the whole mosaic all at once, you know. You can't yes, be everyone yes. at once. And you can't give everyone everything. You got to find what you're giving And lean into that and
1: absolutely in another life i was a drag manager because i (laughs) love drag queens and i see so many drag queens you know i'm capitalist barbie right i pretty much people make fun of me at this point because monet says at this point i sell health insurance like you know (laughs) i'll sell anything but if i was a manager i just always think of drag queens and i always think they're so talented but they often do not know how to step outside of themselves and go what do people really like about me? Like, at the core, what do they get out of this? And how do I make the most of that so that I make more money and the audience gets a more potent version of what they love? Mm. You know? And sometimes it's just guidance. I mean, some of these queens, I'm like, damn, if I was your manager, if I was on your team, we would have you doing this, 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 because mm-hmm. people love this about you and you should monetize it.
0: Well, it's it takes a certain amount of like... Like that fact that you don't get on TikTok <laughs> and play your
1: ukulele and do covers...
0: Okay. I, you know I what? I could slap you across the face. We can talk about TikTok. You are
1: TikTok. so <laughs> gifted.
0: We can talk about TikTok. If I TikTok could, some if other I could time.
1: sing like you, I would. Ne- people would be annoyed of me. I, liter- I would be like,
0: I literally. Screaming in
1: people's faces.
0: Just feel like I can't take on another social media app, another thing that I have to check in with all the time. But <clears throat> who knows? You know, if I had someone whose job it was just to follow me around and film those moments and put it on TikTok, if I didn't have to like factor it in to my already <laughs> I'm not gonna say like jam-packed days but you know I work at a certain you speed not. <laughs> I work at a certain <laughs> speed and I'm, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to be thrown off my own personal schedule but
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> right And tell them how many minutes late you were for your own podcast today.
0: Listen, I had to piss. I had to restart my computer. I think I was eight minutes late today. But usually I'm on time. Podcasts are easy because I just have to walk from the bed to the computer.
1: And you know what? If we're going back to tooting horns, like, (laughs) the other reason why you persevere... I mean, can I... If we could talk about something, I hope you're not vulnerable about it. When you told me that people come to your shows and they tell you, I didn't even know you sang, I'm like... Not to make you uncomfortable, you're one of the most uh, uh, people in wigs, you're one of the best singers there is. So I'm like, how do these people not know this? Well, how, like, that's the goes reason show... you've sustained is because even if people don't know you're singing, they come to your show, they hear you sing and do comedy, and they'll never forget how good it was. The quality of your work <laughs> is why you work forever.
0: Well, this is kind of like a um, hindsight's 2020 thing because. You know, the narrative that we have when we're on TV, that's what's going to be what sticks with people. So to try to expose them to something they didn't already get on TV, you know, like Adore, I think a big part of her story, both Adore and Courtney on their seasons, a huge part of their story was that they were singers. And I don't know, maybe it didn't come up enough or we only had the one singing challenge my season, but... You know, and I did well in that challenge, but people didn't leave it going, oh, Jinx is a singer. So, you know, hindsight 2020, I should have just been like, Hello, everybody. I'm a singer. I'm going to be singing this whole season. Well,
1: well it's a TV show, and they were both famous from other TV shows yeah. about singing. And that, That's more why.
0: Yeah. And then, like, you know, a big thing, I think, of what was so great about Bianca and how she was able to leverage what she did on her season into the career she has now is that her success, what what we go to a Bianca show to see she can give that to you at the drop of a hat. That's just Bianca. That's just what her dial is And it's, is set and it's to.
1: Impressive. Yeah, It's impressive.
0: And so you know, she doesn't have to like. I I think it's it's different depending on what you're trying to sell, how you how you're gonna sell it, you know, and. Uh,
1: but you know what? It also not to take <laughs> the power away from the television show we were both on. Mm. Your career has nothing to do with. That's not the only advertisement of you. I mean, your fucking holiday special, I wish it wasn't about Christmas because I just (laughs) want to watch it all year. I mean, I want you guys to do every holiday because I need to watch that every month. (laughs) Please do Easter. Like, please do... I do every holiday.
0: I, you know, all I'll say is um, after doing that, which felt so impossible when we said we were going to do it, and especially the time we were doing it in, you know... I, I'm happy to report that not a single person in our cast or crew on that Died. experience <laughs> during the film, no one got COVID. We were so like strict and so safe about it, but that was a huge daunting task to take on. Like we're going to do our first movie ever. Dela's going to produce it and direct it. We're going to self fund it, you know, with, with minimal investors and and we're gonna do it in the in the middle of a plague. Um, <laughs> it was quite the it was quite the undertaking, but that's why it feels so good now to to have it out there. And then you know that that compliment I'll take that compliment I can. Uh, the
1: quality's take. absurd. <laughs> I'm sure there's no one listening to this who hasn't seen it. But when I was watching it, I mean I've seen the live show twice, so I kind of knew what to expect. But when I was watching it, I kept going. Like, I got f- so frustrated with the flagrant display of talent that I would leave the room. David and I were watching it and I would go, oh my god! Are you kidding me? And I would, like, walk out and come back. Because I'd be like, oh my god! It was, like, offensive to me. So, just to answer your question, that wasn't a question. Hmm. One of the other reasons you have worked so long you'll never stop working is because everybody who's seen you, the quality, the taste... The taste, the feel of cotton, the fabric of your life. They're gonna be like, oh, I saw her in 2015 and it was literally the best drag shot I've ever seen. We have to go. That's what makes people come see you.
0: What are all the projects? In case any of my listeners are not, <laughs> are, are not already following everything that you do. We've got uh we've got you just did Queen of the Universe. Let's talk about Queen of the Universe. How was that experience? What was it like being on the other side of the judging table?
1: You know what I feel like? I watched Napoleon Dynamite the other night and I feel like <laughs> their uncle who's always selling shit, like the kind of like skeezy uncle. That's me being like, "What do you got? I got a TV show. I got a channel. You want lipstick? I got lipstick. I got a new album. I got a music video. I got wait, you know. Queen of the Universe was so fun. I mean, as you can tell, when I like someone's drag, I gush I pre-cum, I ejaculate, and I gush. <laughs> I shoot, and I goon, and I bait. So, what you know, I love incredible singers. I love good singers. So a show where queens from all over the world get up there and sing in good drag and sing great songs, and their voices are good, it was like, uh-huh. I couldn't gush more. However, I also feel very comfortable telling people what I think of their drag, <laughs> because I'm like, oh, I've done, I've done this. I've competed on TV. Just so you know, this shape, if you just nip the waist a little, ugh. Or just so you know, if you carried your foundation down, you're the queen of this. Foundation down the neck, down the <laughs> arms. I'm like, oh my God, the illusion what would was be once flawless. A
0: symptom, a symptom of anxiety is now just uh, my mo for makeup, except. I paint down to my nipples now, my nipples, and then to the shoulders. You'll edge wear a high neck dress
1: and you'll paint the nipples. It's
0: just how I know how to do it. But at my most anxious, at my most like kind of in my head and torturing myself after my season, um, Kenny, my best friend who was touring with me as my assistant then, noted that when I started painting to my elbows, he was like, We need, we need. We need to do something about this because... No, 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 no. I feel the
1: opposite. I feel the opposite. I think you should paint to where the bra or the neckline is, right? Mm-hmm. And then you should start at... that should go nails <laughs> to where the dress ends. Because the hands... I so put then no part foundation, of me is
0: just flesh colored.
1: <laughs> no, it matches your face. That's the illusion. <laughs> but you my face ne- is I'm pale. Not <laughs> but your face makeup should match your... I'm, anyway, I'm the police of that. I'm like, <laughs> your knuckles are red. Fix it. But... Um, I love drag and, uh, I asked Michelle a week before, and I know you're really close with Michelle, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know her like that. I'd never toured with Michelle. And so I called her and said, Michelle, how do you do this? Really? Like, how do you judge drag queens? I mean, I know, I know what I would say, but how do you do this? Well, she said, think about it, Trixie. They're away from their home bar, the bartenders, their boyfriends, their normal fans, the go-go boys who usually gas them up after their number. Mm -hmm. They have no way to know how they're doing because they have no one to ask about how they're doing. You're their only lifeline to tell them about their, like, EKG meter in the competition. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Tell them what you think they earnestly need to hear in order to win. And that made it so easy because then I would just say, hey, just so you know, you aren't singing as well as everyone here. So you got to figure out some way to make – if you want to (laughs) win. Or, like, your voice is perfect. And if we just fixed your shape a little bit, you would be on the level of these other girls. It's not about – there's a camera rolling, so I'm going to tell you how you're wrong. It's like, what can I tell them to actually help them win? Then it became very easy.
0: And and that is the tricky thing about competing in drag is, you know, like when you watch other competition shows, they just have to focus on the one thing. You know, like a you know last comic standing, they just have to be funny. Who cares what they're wearing? Who cares what they – maybe that's a factor if it's part of like – what works about their set. But drag queens competing on reality TV, we are always doing two jobs. You know, we're always doing the challenge that week and trying to look stellar or or sell a brand or sell an idea through our appearance. And that's a whole separate competition, you
1: know? <laughs> yeah, on Queen of the Universe, we judge them on their WAP, their, what they're wearing, their all-star attitude, and their performance. So we're really judging the drag, their kind of star quality attitude, and their singing. Mm-hmm. Which makes it very simple because it's not necessarily the – ch- the, ch- the challenges don't really change. It's more like, oh, this week we're doing old songs, Turn Back Time. This week it's duets. But we really can just zero in on their star quality, their drag, and their singing. Mm-hmm. You should – I mean, if you get a chance to flip through it, watch some of the performances, at least on YouTube. Up until Queen of the Universe, you and a few other queens were maybe the best queen singers I've ever heard. I didn't know how many incredible singing drag queens there are in the world. I mean, these people have my jaw on the floor. Like, ugh.
0: And, and you know what the the brilliant thing is? Is winning, of course, is... You know, winning is fantastic, but it's not everything. It doesn't determine who's going to have longevity, uh, longevity afterwards. So, if you're someone who's got talent and you put it out there on on that stage, and a lot of people got to see it, that's all you need to then, you know, go on and have a fantastic career. So, we we know this with Drag Race. Now we know this with Queen of the Universe. I have to ask though what was it like working with Vanessa Williams? I mean, that's Vanessa oh. Williams. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think that Vanessa Williams is my
1: best friend. She doesn't know it yet, but, cause you know, you have uh, Michelle and Leona to my mm-hmm. left and I, Leona's the T, I mean, just breathlessly beautiful. Just, mm-hmm. and you know, she's done X Factor and her voice is to die for. Mm-hmm. So she's just an angel. Michelle's that hag on the end. We're just reading each other all day. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle just making fun of me at every turn and me making fun of her. And then Vanessa and I, because it's fucking Vanessa Williams. I mean, I don't I know we're supposed to go into Hollywood and when you get these opportunities, you're supposed to be like, it's just another person. But it did take me a long beat to be like, it's fucking Vanessa Williams, bitch. She's so beautiful, and you know, she's done it all. She's had mega hits. She's done Broadway a million times. She's truly like a theater kid heart dressed up in a pop star's body, kind of like Michelle. Yeah. Michelle's like a theater kid who was a a pop star. And, you know, Vanessa is so beautiful and so qualified. And like when Vanessa Williams tells you something about your singing, you better listen. (laughs) You know, she's telling you because, like, oh, I just, I, I before I got the gig, when I realized I got the gig and I realized it was Vanessa, I did a lot of YouTube deep diving, finding clips of her performing in Into the Woods. Or singing in front of the white house or i even mm-hmm. watched um the miss america 1984 to see her competing and i'm just like Vanessa Williams is super naturally talented real deal. and beautiful
0: she's the real deal she's been around uh, our whole lives and um she's played and probably after we die <laughs> she's played <laughs> Seriously. one of my dream roles you mentioned into the woods she was the witch in into the woods i just Jinx, know you
1: have to get that job <laughs> That would be so good for you.
0: I just know if I was sitting next to Vanessa Williams, did you watch Broad City? Um, She had a cameo in Broad City where she goes into a toilet stall and starts going, I shit, I shit, I shit, I shit. It's an ongoing joke in the series. And if I was sitting next to her, I feel like every commercial break, every, every cut for camera, I'd just be you know quietly singing i shit <laughs> yes did you have any I've inside never seen jokes that. by the end of the filming
1: well <laughs> there's <laughs> i don't know what I'm allowed to say but there's sort of the tea there's the tea of what you tell the contestant and then there's the tea of you know we do go we do go backstage with our mics off mm-hmm. and and say like Oh, if she just did X, Y, Z, she could bam. You, you sort of say that version of them to them and then you go backstage and say like you, what you earnestly like see for them, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I don't know, I just think when Vanessa tells you you're right for something or when she's like, girl sing. Or when Vanessa's like, you did too many runs. Or when Vanessa's like, you know, just listen because Vanessa's telling you the truth. Careful the things you say.
0: <laughs> Drag queens, Drag will, queens listen. will listen. Drag queens <laughs> will listen.
1: Yeah. No, I love doing Queen of the Universe. And they're casting now, which must mean there's a season two. I can't say, but they are casting. <laughs>
0: um, there's one... You, we've we've talked a lot about your success. We've talked a lot about your experiences during and post-drag race. Um, I'm, I'll make sure we list everything that people can find you doing at the end of the episode. But there is one personal life question I would like to ask you about, and you can feel free to say, you know what, Jinx? I don't need to tell you about that. But you are, as we say, white passing, um, Uh but you are also Native American. (laughs) How has that, it's, it's the reason why I wanna know this impact it may have had on you is because the drag persona you play Whereas lots of drag queens lean into their heritage, lean into their culture. The drag persona you play is the richest, dumbest, blondest white woman. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Is that any sort of commentary? Is that based off of experiences you've had in your life? Or is it just because you love Barbies? Um...
1: Well, when I started the character and had the idea for it, I didn't have the brains or the awareness to know that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But I think over the years, looking back, yes, there's a reason why she's the picture of she's ignorant. She's Caucasian. Originally, she had blue eyes, blonde, blue eyes, tiny waist, big boobs, baby voice, impossibly rich, stupid, selfish. She's sort of the caricature of Caucasian-Americanized female beauty. Mm And I mean, that's got to be because, you know, I had a brown mom and a brown grandma and brown women in my family. And so uh, whiteness, whiteness as like a a negative was interesting to me. Like white, blonde, like Midwestern whiteness, like Mm -hmm. real potent Clorox bleach whiteness (laughs) is funny to me. And it's also funny to me because being from a – I didn't grow up on the reservation. Mm -hmm. I grew up off the reservation. So – Culturally speaking, no one's whiter than me. Mm -hmm. I love The Office. I play acoustic guitar. (laughs) I eat bland food. (laughs) I eat bland food. I mean, um, and so I guess I always thought I was poor white trash. And growing up and thinking, I'm like, wow, how much of me being the poorest kid in a small town had to do with also being part of a deeply disenfranchised group, Mm -hmm. you know? how much it was part of that. How much of having alcoholism in my family is part of that. I mean, mm-hmm. Native Americans are much more susceptible to alcoholism. Um, you know, when I go to the reservation, which I haven't been in a good, at least eight years, mm-hmm. it is a lot of, it's, it is spooky. It's a lot of drug use. It's it's very, we, we put these people somewhere because we didn't want to acknowledge what we did to them. That's what it yeah. kind of feels like. I'm not saying it's hopeless. I'm just saying that's the vibe. But I also think that since my skin is white and I'm male and I'm cis, it's your it's more your duty to acknowledge your privilege than it is your duty to monologue about the ways that you're disenfranchised. Yeah. That's And I think it would be really inappropriate for me to be like, but I'm native. You guys I'm native as a native. Yeah. Because and on the flip side of that, sometimes I'm like, well, this is a group of people that we we for a colonized group of people, right? White people came and raped and pillaged and and educated and taught them religion. It is also wrong to measure someone's, like, lineage by the color of their skin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So Native Americans are sort of being slowly bred out in a lot of ways. Like, my grandma moved off the reservation, married a white guy. My mom is, you know, only part, part Native American then. it. I guess I don't know what the answer is. How do we measure someone's? cultural experience because for me i am part native but for all intensive purposes i'm white the world like i'm white and so i think that the responsible thing for me to do is just say i'm white but then i'm like am i not acknowledging this big important part of myself then or am i being responsible by just saying no be white you know what i mean
0: i yeah i don't think there's a right or a wrong way to do something but i think you're speaking from a very enlightened place like you're you're not going to um, tokenize your own experience, you know? No. And, you know, I think what you're doing right now is all you need to do. You know, you are acknowledging that because of the way that you look, you have experienced certain privileges. And because of those privileges, it would be hard for you to claim disenfranchisement Um, you know, you have your experiences. You absolutely probably have experienced disenfranchisement, but the way that the world looks at you and the way that the world probably treats you doesn't line up with that experience. And you acknowledging that and just talking openly about what you personally have experienced is I think all you need to do. You know, we talk about this a lot. Like, you know, uh, visibility isn't about trying to be the voice of everyone in your demographic. Visibility is being just there telling your own story, sharing your own experience so that people who have had similar experiences can feel seen and people who have had different experiences can you know hear your story and get new insight that they don't get from their place, you know. Right. So, I think just talking, however much you feel like talking about it and sharing whatever you feel like sharing is all you really need to do. But I also think people probably have different, I know
1: people who probably feel like, there's probably people who feel like, am I hiding my queerness because I don't lead with it? Or am I not gay enough? You know, I think people often feel like, do I fit? Am I wearing the sign big enough for people or, you know, you don't owe anybody any expression of your own experience. It's You don't.
0: It's, when I came out as non-binary, it, it was something I felt like I didn't need to say. I felt like it was, you know, it was, <coughs> we knew. it was visible, you know, like when I came out as non-binary, my friends and family were like, well, yeah, what else did you think we thought you were, <laughs> you know, but, um my choice to be like vocal about it and public about it just came out of someone saying we could really use more people talking about their experiences openly so that other people can see oh this is what a non-binary person looks like and this is the experience they have and that doesn't mean that everyone has to do that but That's why I'm saying all you have to do if you want to contribute to the conversation is just tell your own story because you can't tell anyone else's story. You can only tell yours, but sometimes just telling your story, honestly, unadorned, this is what my life has been like because of these circumstances or because of, you know, that's, that's all you really need to do. And sometimes just doing that is doing a lot more than you think it is. Now we've, uh, I have this segment. We're going to go just a little bit more over because Joseph worked on this segment. My producer, Joseph Shepard, um, created a brand new segment just for you. All you have to do is say true or false. I'm going to say something. Oh, I'm going to say something. We call this segment the rumor Mail, And these are things that people believe to be true about you that Joseph gathered on the internet. And you can just confirm or deny it or you can say you know i, I choose not to respond so we first this is so shady let's do it first rumor trixie is an atheist uh true trixie is a socialist i don't know what that means <laughs> oh yes yes yes
1: <laughs> yes
0: yeah. um you attended university of milwaukee with your fellow season seven sister, Max. Yes, true. James Manfield made a puppet of Michelle Visage for you. True. <laughs> At one point, you, Jada Essence Hall, James Mansfield, and Joey J all lived in the same... <laughs> That's where the sentence ends.
1: We lived in the same tent, yes. Uh, true, We all. I,
0: I'm assuming they mean Milwaukee, yes, true. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> aja revealed on trinity the tux podcast work that Bibi zahara benet had chosen trixie's lip sync in episode five of all stars three i think you mean lipstick lipstick did i say lip sync
1: <laughs> um i don't know honestly i
0: don't know, don't know. i would love to find out <laughs> Um, Trixie has the shortest reign of any All-Stars winners at 11 months. She is only the All-Stars winner to not reign for at least a year. She is the only All-Stars winner to not lay- reign for at least a year. Is this news to you? Uh,
1: yeah, I guess. I wasn't <laughs> counting the months. I guess. But then again, don't Monet and Trinity split the months?
0: <laughs> well, you Down know... The middle. And also, it's like, we used to get a full year between drag races. Now you get a couple months before the next thing's out. So, I don't know that... It must be true.
1: (laughs) It was a sickening 11 months.
0: Sickening 11 months. Here we go. Your final, final segment with me today. I ask every guest these... Questions. Answer them however you feel. Who is your celebrity crush today? Um,
1: I've been really into Sebastian Stan. I think he's so gorgeous. Him and I Tanya with that mustache. I think he was so <laughs> hot. He's so hot. Did you? Um,
0: was it hard to uh, watch I Tanya and not just feel like it's me? I'm watching my story.
1: <laughs> it felt a little. Uh, I identified with her. A little bit, for sure. You know, she's as Western. She's kind of trash. She's not supposed to do well. And she did really well. She proved everybody wrong, and I love that.
0: I identify with Margot Robbie more when she's playing Harley Quinn. But, you know, we all have our own Margot Robbie. (laughs) Totally. Um... Question 2, are you spiritual? We already heard earlier that you're atheist, but do you um do you have you talked about some of your practices around funerals. So would you consider yourself spiritual or ritualistic? <laughs> well, what I like about Native American
1: religion is it one of the things you believe in is like, oh, when we die, we go back into the earth. That's mm-hmm. also scientifically true. <laughs> so, you know, there's stuff that they I don't believe the wolf, the moon is a wolf. No. But, like, there are things that you believe, like, when someone dies, they're never really gone. That is true. Matter can't be created or destroyed. I mean, Mm. you know, it's part of why you visit someone's grave or keep their ashes or whatever.
0: Don't get me Um, started on the matter cannot be (laughs) just created or destroyed thing, because then I'll start telling you why I think that means ghosts are real. Um. I don't really practice. (laughs) Let's say that. I don't really
1: practice anything.
0: (laughs) And um, what is your go-to karaoke song?
1: Uh, Come Fly With Me. Oh no. I like to kill the vibe at a bar.
0: No, I I don't mind people doing crooner songs at karaoke, but Come Fly With Me is that song that like every fucking douchey male singer who thinks he's God's gift to the music world Gets up on that stage with his cocky swagger thinking he's like the fucking next Frank Sinatra. Grabs that microphone and goes, come fly with me. And I'm like, nope, I'm done. I'm not flying with you anywhere, sir. Yeah, I'm not flying with you. I might be drawing from personal experiences a little too much, but. uh
1: (laughs) I just, it's easy. It's baritone. I think it all happens in about five notes. It's very easy. So I think that's why I pick it. Yeah, But I'll, tr- I'll switch it up for you, Christ. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm very interested in taking on songs that aren't singing. Like, my friend in college always did Rock Lobster. And I'm that's like, that's a doing. great karaoke song. He's just yelling. It was a clam! I mean, it's like a Monday and people are drinking and he's like, everybody had fetching towels. And people are like, what is happening? <laughs> So maybe that's the song.
0: I like to leave my karaoke audiences a, a, a little confused about what a just happened. A little concerned. <laughs> yeah. Um, finally, let's end this conversation by saying, Trixie Mattel, you can watch her on, uh, which is right up there on YouTube. Is it also on, is it just YouTube? Is it on Wild Presents Plus? Well, do they get I'll early just say access? I'll so we can get through it. You do it, just you do it. You do it. You we'll do get,
1: it. Okay. Hi, it's me, Trixie. You can check out my YouTube channel. I upload every single week. You can pre-save my new single, This Town. You can check out Queens Who Like to Watch on Netflix. You can check out uh, season seven coming to you soon. Uh, you can check out Queen of the Universe on Paramount Plus. Uh, you can watch Crank Anchors on Comedy Central. And I mean, I don't know. At this point, if you, if you haven't seen something, you've actively avoided me, which is also fine.
0: <laughs> and you also have <laughs> two full albums, two birds and one stone.
1: Yes, baby, I love making music and I, I think I offer something for everybody. So please yeah. enjoy, just stream it. I don't care if we make less money from streaming, just listen to it.
0: It's so funny to plug things because it's like, I could just say, you know what, Google the bitch. Google the bitch, find something that speaks to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, like, I, I do think at this point, especially with how much YouTube content I make, if you haven't seen me on your home screen, you're, you've actively blocked me enough times. So like, <laughs> I don't, have, you know, I don't know.
0: That's that's all we can do I'm sometimes. Like, Just I'm block. the drag
1: equivalent of like Avon calling like <laughs> every day. That's me.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for being a guest today. And thank you for being my conversation with you inspired this very podcast. And so it feels like a full circle moment to have you... As my guest today, and I, I appreciate your candor, your your many many compliments. I'll always call you to pay me lip service. Uh- <laughs> and You're you- the best.
1: You you make me feel so comfortable that I also want to say that I I really opened up with you, and I, I anything I have said on this podcast comes from apt, like a place of being honest.
0: Oh, well, that's honestly sweet.
1: ignorant about the things I speak. <laughs>
0: Well, hopefully one day we'll parlay this into a daytime talk show and then I can become a raging bitch and everyone can out me 10 years later for being a raging bitch. Oh yeah, baby. Yeah. Thank you so much, Trixie Mattel, and thank you all for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else, and I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx. forever dog to listen to hijinks ad free and one day early sign up for forever dog plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus hijinks is produced by forever dog and moguls of media aka mom Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. And executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Big Dipper, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.